This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Rice, and our guest today is the multifaceted Candace Colt. <laughs> awesome. Oh, look, the dog's in the background now coming to get you. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. <laughs> so um, I'm in North Carolina now, and I actually found a cider company up here called Flat Rock Cider Company. Oh, and my this gosh. Is a semi-tart blackberry cider, oh, um, and it's homegrown hard cider. I didn't know there were seeds to plant to make cider, but apparently you can <laughs> grow cider. I hope everybody's learned something today. That's anyway, it. It is, it is really good. It is very tart though. I'm not going to lie about that. It's okay. super duper tart. So fun and interesting. Exciting. Yeah. What are you so drinking, cool. CR? I am doing vodka with some cranberry ginger ale. Oh, cool. Ooh, a little that's, that's a little fanciness right oh, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cranberry is good for you. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's what we'll cling to. Cranberry is healthy. Health exactly. Exactly. Candace, I, what are you drinking? I have Chardonnay. That's kind of my go-to. Um, cool. It's not too heavy. And since I have to halfway be reasonable this evening, I can't get too heavy with drinking. So a nice light Chardonnay, just a little crispy. I like it. I don't have those same limitations, so I can. <laughs> I'm the guest. I'm supposed to act like you know. <laughs> well, those are rules. We we only have guidelines here at. That's um, right. Suggestions. <laughs> yes. Right. So we really state the line with. Yeah. yeah. So true, Candace. <laughs> for everybody who's listening that may not know you, could you talk a little bit about what you write? Sure. I write contemporary romance, mostly paranormal, but I like to think of it as sweet romance with a magical twist, because sometimes people get off put by that word paranormal. They think, you know, we rip out throats and, you know, burn witches or whatever. And no, my characters just have a nice, sweet romance. And yeah, they tend to be magical, um, but that's not the main thrust of the story. And they're all contemporary and they're all in a small town because I love small towns. Very cool. When did you um, start writing? Well, you know, most authors are going to tell you they've been writing since forever, right? But I didn't actually get published until 2017. So um, I got really lucky and I was invited as a guest author in one series. If anyone's ever heard of Kristen Painter and the Nocturne Falls series, she had guest authors come in 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 her universe. And then from there, I was in the series Cat's Paw Cove Romance, another guest author. And I've amassed nine books in those two series and I'm gonna go indie next year. So that's exciting. That is very, very (laughs) exciting. That is very cool. Yes, Cat's Paw. We interviewed Cat's Paw. Yes, yes, I talked to her last year. Last year, I think. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is what happens when you maybe have one of your um, ciders beforehand. I'm doing so good at remembering people's names. Well. <laughs> hey, you remember? You have to make Cats sure Paw. it was worth it for the pod. 
Yeah, yeah I'm like, I need to try this for the podcast because I'm not going out. No, just kidding. I've tried some terrible things on this podcast. I'm like, this looks like a good idea as I'm chugging. And I'm like, this and is then it's terrible. like nasty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so bad. So 2017, had you wanted to be a writer before then? I mean, oh, absolutely. A lot of us did writing things, but did you yeah. want? So, yeah. How, yeah. how did it how did it take to 2017 then? Well, mostly because I was working and, you know, I couldn't dedicate the time to it because, you know, writing is a part-time, full-time job. I don't care what stage you are. And I was busy working and going to college and doing all those things. Um, I joined Romance Writers of America some years ago, some years before that, and started learning the craft. I really didn't understand the craft of writing romance. I just thought you just sat down and spewed out a bunch of stuff. But, and I, we don't like to use the word formula. We use elements. And so you have to understand the elements. You have to understand the pacing. You have to understand the beats and all of that stuff. And once I got myself involved in that and networking and meeting lots and lots of writers, then it really got serious. And I started submitting. And I tried submitting to agents and I tried to be, you know, everybody's dream was to be a harlequin. And I tried that and um, I have a stack of rejections. Um, but again, I just kept working on that craft until I made it happen. That is awesome. And did you want to go the paranormal route? Was that when you first started off and you're like, you know what I'm gonna write? I'm gonna write a werewolf. You know, like, where did you go? <laughs> Not at all. You know, and that's that's a really good question. You know, no one's really asked me that. But um, I didn't start off writing Paranormal. Um, I had read it. I had read um, a, a lot of the really fun things. There's an author named Bonnie Vanek, and I've read some of her Paranormals. And I really liked that world. I liked the werewolves that shifted. I like shapeshifters. I thought that was just way cool. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think I could write it because you... You know, I was having a hard enough time focusing on the ordinary human relationship. How do you get the extraordinary human relationship in there? But then when I was invited to write for Kristen Painter's Nocturne Falls, it is paranormal. So I started reading her books and I started getting just charmed by them, you know, for no other reason, no, no better word. They're just charming to know that a vampire can have an ordinary relationship, shapeshifters. But then the challenge was, when it was time for me to write, was to create something different, you know, some kind of different spin on the paranormal. Um, so to me, the challenge was fun. And then once I got started with it, I just got carried away and just, I don't know if I could write a straight romance. I really don't think I could, because where's the fun in that? Enough. <laughs> where's the witch where's the where's the psychic you know that's just you know it's not for me but anyway it was sort of a backdoor approach honestly <laughs> romance backdoor never mind I'm all <laughs> never mind it's very early in the I podcast, was waiting but... I was gonna start counting to see if you said anything after she had said that but you really you you well, jumped on it Ooh, on she jumped she on it and I'm like huh Huh, that's a different kind of series. Maybe not romance. <laughs> I haven't written those yet. <laughs> that is awesome. So now that you've begun, you just talked about going indie. 
are you going to stay in the same kind of vein of what you've been doing on paranormal sweet romance? Yep. Um, I have a secret project that I'm not really allowed to talk about yet, but I can say that it's going to be sci-fi. So there's going to be a bit of a new new thing going on over here that's sci-fi in a project that I'm not allowed to disclose yet. But the series that I'm going to launch next year is again paranormal. Um, but you know, when people hear that word paranormal, they think Dracula, they think all of these things. Um, this series is a little different. It's a witch family, and it starts out with a reluctant witch that you know has to come home because she's a single mom now with a kid that has this magical skill, and she can't even manage her own self, so she can't manage the kid. So that's going and going to be the indie series. Very cool. I think I, I I get what you're saying. It's true, and I think there are degrees of anything. Kind of, you just mentioned sci-fi. There's degrees of sci-fi. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> there's anything, and I think when you say sweet romance is what really classifies what that is versus yes. steamy or erotic kind of you know exactly. stories that can go. Exactly. Um, that is very cool. So, um, are you doing this full time now? Is this like what you what you do? Absolutely. You know, I'm retired, but I'm working more now for myself than I ever was when I worked the, well, I never worked a 40 hour week in any of my jobs, but you know, off the clock, I was pretty much done here. There's, you're never done. You know, before I logged on with you guys, I was editing like mad, um, social media because I don't have a, a PA or a VA yet. So I'm doing all of that. So that takes up big chunks of time. Um, promotion, I think was the biggest surprise. If you were gonna ask me at some point, what is your biggest surprise in the author journey? It's the promotion. Um, it, even if you were traditionally published, you have to be out there. You have to get people to know who you are. You have to build the relationship with the reader. And, it, and that invites them to want to read the book. But you know what? That takes time. So um, yeah, it's full time. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I think it, you know, you said something in the beginning of the podcast, um, not the backdoor thing before that, but um, you, you mentioned the, um, that it, it's a job. And I say this to people regularly when they say they want to be an artist of any kind, but they tell me they want to write. I'm like, okay, are you going to dedicate the time to actually be a writer and not just be dis think you're going to be discovered or think the words are going to magically appear on the page? Because yeah. there are people that can write very, very fast. I know several of them. I, I don't happen to be blessed in the being an incredibly fast writer. Um, yeah. And, but you have to be willing to put the time aside to actually do that craft. Yeah. And it's yeah. not going to just happen. You're not going to magically wake up in a book sitting beside your bed and you're like, oh, look, my manuscript is complete. And it's in perfect. Wouldn't form. that be great? Instead of like the, the, what is it, the shoe elves or whatever it was, if there were like little book, book elves that just like you came up with the idea the next morning, the elves had written it for you. If that only. would be amazing. <laughs> right? That sounds like a good story anyway, right there. Yeah. You write that down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's true what you said. And we are in an age where people want to interact and know the mm -hmm. authors that they're talking mm -hmm. to. And they follow you just as much as they follow your work. And what yes. are you doing? And cross-branching with other authors and all that, that great stuff that goes along with it that you're like, whew. And you do have to organize 
your days around that part of it. And I've seen authors get really swept away in that too, where they're spending way too much time on Facebook or Twitter or yes. Instagram instead of the art of writing. Like there's yes. a very clever balance that goes along with that. Yeah. Yep. Your core business as an author is writing. And, and, and that's the mindset that any author should have is that it's a business. Um, you are branding, you are selling, you are writing, you've uh, got to find that expectation and meet it from the, the reader. You have to know your readers, you know, we call it an avatar, that's not to diss any of the readers, but you kind of have to have somebody in mind. Who is that person I'm writing this book for? I'm not writing it just in a vacuum, I'm writing it for her or I'm writing it for him. And so, that again takes time too. You have to be thinking and doing and all of that kind of good stuff at the same time, as well as writing. The core business is writing. <laughs> Very true. So let's talk about when that first book got published. What was that like for you to actually have your first book in your hands published? Amazing. And I hate that word, but it's what it was. It was just it's a moment you don't get back. It's like that first kiss or, you know, I didn't have kids, but it's like that first baby or whatever, you know, you, I did this, you know, um, back in one of my previous lives, I did some technical writing. So I not, I saw my name in journals, but that's boring stuff. You know what I mean? This was like, oh my gosh, it had a cover, pretty cover on it. And it had pages that you could flip through and it had an, uh, uh, in this case, a Amazon ID number on it, but it was like, woo, you know, it was a very thrilling time. Not everybody in my circle was excited about it as I was, you know, they're like, okay, you got a book out, big deal, when's your next one? And I'm like, geez, you know, this is part. big. <laughs> this is big, let's all enjoy it. You're like, but, yeah. where are the trumpets and rose petals? This has yeah. happened. Yeah. Throw it in yeah. front of me. Yeah. Yeah. And after years and years and years and years of submitting to traditional publishers or trying to get an agent and all those sorts of things. Um, oh, bless you, puppy. Um, yeah. I don't... <laughs> He's hocking He's like, up a hairball. In this giant house, where I need to be right now is on a podcast. There's like 15 rooms here. He could be anywhere else. He's right here. That's not how it happens. You know that. Yeah. I um, shut my door so the cats don't invade because my cats would come in here screaming. Oh yeah, tell me things that are only put their nose right, right up to the the camera. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that first book it's amazing. Um, it never gets old to open up a box of books. It never gets old. It's like, wow. Well, you know, I really did that. All that work, of course, you know, on the other hand, all that work and all those hours and everything scrunches down into one little hardback or soft pound book or ebook or whatever. And it's like, man, if people only knew how many hours we put in <laughs> to get there. Not only but, that, but the screaming, the cursing. Oh, the, well, there's that. <laughs> there's so many steps that go in, into writing a book. Did you have a lot of frustrations with yourself when you were writing your first one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because in the beginning you just spew, you know, you think you know how to do it. You're spewing the words out, they're beautiful. And then you, I have a couple of these automated programs that I run it through and I realize how many crutch words or how many, you know, 
tenses get screwed up or, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And I'm like, holy crow, who's ever going to read this? This is horrible. It's terrible. Then the program crashes or the computer dies or this happens or that happens. And then you're holding the book in your hand and it's like, nobody knows all that blood that you shed <laughs> to get to this point. And you just smile <laughs> and thank, thank you for buying. But yeah, there's a lot of emotion behind it. And I don't know any author on the planet that can't would say differently about that. Well, I think that's true, especially as you're doing your first books. I think, you know, speaking with a lot of authors, a lot of them, not that it's not hard work. It doesn't suddenly like, oh, this took me five minutes, but you yeah. get into more of a pattern. You get yes. more into doing it kind of like anything you do, muscle memory that yes. you're doing it. So you don't yes. necessarily run into the same hurdles or things like that. Yes. And so the first book, I feel like for a lot of us, some people are like, I just wrote my first book and it was perfect. And then the, there are others of us that were like, we did that for eight years. We wrote our first book for eight <laughs> years. You know what I mean? I say that because my first full length novel took me eight years. Now I wasn't writing that whole time. Wow. Because yeah. you know you write and then you go do something else and then you whatever and you go through every emotional life thing that happens and then finally you're like you know what I need to just finish this effing book and get it out and be get done it with out. the entire exactly. thing. Exactly. But you know then the next one you're like okay I can do this in X amount of time and mm -hmm. it gets shorter and shorter and it gets easier and easier and I know you don't want to say the word formula but you get into, I'm going to say a pattern on how yeah. the books communicate. That doesn't mean yes. it's the same storyline, but it's a formula on how the books communicate to you. I love readers, that. Stuff yes. like that. And then it, it does get easier because you're not trying to navigate the first time through the forest. You're like, I've been through this forest before. Mm -hmm. The next time you're like, oh, forgot about that thing. But eventually you're like, I've been through this. Nothing can attack me. I know where everything is. I'm good to go. Let's just go. And I think as authors, we have to remember that so that when we're going through our first, second, sometimes 10th book, it just depends on the author. Don't kill yourself over what you're, you know, beat yourself up over what you're getting to on that journey. Because it is right. a journey, man. Yeah. And I can guarantee you've not packed enough sunscreen for that journey ever. <laughs> So. And every time you think it's done, like, you know, you get that moment reprieve because you finished it and like you've gone through the editing process, you're waiting for it to come out, you know, two days after it comes out, you're getting those messages that's like, this was awesome. So when is the next one? And it's like, listen, I need like a mini vacay between every single one. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and then you got to start publicizing it and getting it out there and figuring yeah. out your next one and timing that out. It's definitely an interesting thing. What were the uh, most surprising parts when you actually started getting into this and you're like, I'm writing this first book, it's going to go out. What surprised you the most? Oh, I think, I don't know, that's a good question too. Um, I think, as I might have said earlier, I think the promotional piece was the biggest part of it. Um, writing the book, having it in your hand, you know, and realizing that it doesn't sell itself. You know, you could have it a pretty cover, which all my books have wonderful cover artists and they're just lovely and they can sit on Amazon and they can die there. <laughs> so, you know, I think that was the, uh, a challenge to understand that I play a big role in this. Even with small publishers, you still got to do your 
more than fair share of it. Um, the personal that's true appearances. Of large publishers too. I want to put that out there. That's true. It doesn't that's matter true. the size of the publisher. It matters on whether or not they think you have a gold mine that they're willing to put money behind. But almost <laughs> every publisher is like, this is so cute on your own. Like, yes. Have fun. <laughs> right out of the nest you go. We appreciate you were here. Push. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. Right. Right, right, right. And, and, and um, I guess the other surprising piece is that I could do it. You know, I mean, like you, I had years and years of these books just sitting around unfinished, stories undone. And suddenly, well, what helped was having a deadline. Um, you got to have this book to us by such and such. Here are the parameters go. And I'm like, oh, and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was a big surprise um, that I could do it. A surprise, not so much maybe, but maybe um, I set a goal and actually attained it. That's pretty cool. I'm kind of goal oriented. I guess most authors probably are. They've got some goal they want to get to, but that I actually did it. After all the years of saying, I'm going to do it, I finally did it. <laughs> No, so, that, that's amazing. There are many, many unfinished books in the world. There are more unfinished books mm, than there are finished books in this world that we live absolutely. in. You know, that's, what about um, when it, when you, when you first get it out and you're doing this, I know those two series have sort of a theme with the covers and all that yeah. other stuff that goes yeah. along with it. What about the first time you started getting reviews? That's nerve wracking. Um, and I've learned over the years with a lot of coaching from people behind the scenes, don't bleed over everyone that you read, you know, even the ones that just praise you to the high heavens and the one that says that's the worst book I ever read in my life. Somewhere in the middle lies the truth. You know, it spoke to that person. It didn't speak to that person. You know what I mean? You, I mean, it's important to get the reviews. And of course, every author wants thousands of them, you know, and for all kinds of reasons. But it was really interesting. I mean, I'd had my book beta read and I'd had my book, you know, out in the hands of some of these um, review things like BookBub and all those kinds of things. But when that real review comes in and you're starting to read, you know, someone says, when they start talking about your story, and they say, so-and-so is really a great character. And I really hoped she would get the, I mean, they got into the story in the review, which was really kind of fun because I'm like, oh, they got it. <laughs> they got what I was trying to do there. Or they'll come up with something I hadn't thought of. I'm like, ooh, did I say that? You know, the, so I read them, but I don't live with them, if that makes sense, because sometimes, sometimes the trolls are out there and they're just looking for something to to beat up or they just want to give you one star because that's just the way they are so you got to kind of balance your reaction to it but it is kind of cool when somebody connects with what you're trying to do with the story no i think that's very true i have a lot of author friends that tell people if you if you um you know are worried about your reviews go read reviews of a very popular book you've read because you can click on the five stars and then you can click on the one stars that they've yep. said about something that you treasure as a book yeah. and see what comes out of people's mouths. I think yes. um, reviews, depending on how you are mentally, are a great thing or they can be a very destabilizing. You should just walk away. Yeah. Because yeah. unless they're useful, I have a 
very good friend of mine who's an author, Austin Scott Collins, I'll call him out, and he wrote an amazing series, but he wrote a blog or article once about leaving a review and how to leave a review to benefit the author. If you want to leave a review, you want to speak to the author, how to do that, because just going, it's great, does nothing, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you think it's great, but it doesn't tell you what was great, what they liked right. about it, right. you know, what right. they maybe didn't like about it, which yeah. is fine too, yes. because that way, if you have 40 reviews that say, I really didn't like the way this character, you know, dealt with this situation, and you look at it and you can go, well, I don't care what you think because I wanted that to be that way and that was intended. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at it and go, well, what I was trying to communicate didn't come across to the reader. This book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I could tweak that a little bit. But unless there's a constructive piece of information in the review, it doesn't work. It just doesn't right. work in the thing. The thing that know? drives me crazy is when people review a story and you'll read because I read reviews before I, I pick a story just to kind of get like yeah. a little glimpse of what it is. But then when you hit those reviews, they're like, I hate this genre. Don't even know why I read this book. This book was absolutely terrible. And I'm like, do you understand what you just did right there? Like, not only did you drop their rating, they probably read that and like got super upset initially. And then like, what, why read it if it's not your genre? Like, if you don't read horror stories, why would you go read a horror story and leave a terrible review? And leave a review. Exactly. Yeah. It makes you look kind of not together. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said it best, trolls, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, the fact is, the trolls exist. They're out there. They're mm -hmm. just people that, you know, are, are just negative people that exist mm -hmm. in the world. And that's why living and dying by what somebody says on a review is not healthy for an author whatsoever no. actually so um okay oh my goodness it's time to take a break we will be right back ladies gentlemen and those that don't identify as either one of those we're drinking with authors all right this is the voice of drinking with authors you are at our commercial break and our commercial is hey do you want to be a guest on our show or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or you can just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Okay, we're back. We're back. So we were talking about reviews. And you said you joined the Romance Writers of America before you actually had really written anything, yes. right? Yes. So what was that like going into the realm of a bunch of writers and stuff? <laughs> well, that was an interesting, it was interesting stuff. Um, that's how I started to meet established authors on a personal basis. I'd always had kind of this mysterious, like foggy view of an author. Ooh, an author, they've written a book. I mean, I really thought they were just some sort of, you know, people that sat in, in on like the, on a throne and, you know, just some sort of thing and found out they're real people and, and had real issues and, you know, real families and stuff happening in their lives. And most, I'm not going to say all, most were very generous with their information, with their, um, they, they were not, 
some folks are very insecure, so they don't want to tell you, you know, how to make your life work. They, they just want to hold you off. But most authors are very generous. They give you advice. They work with you. And I think that's the kind of thing, the mentoring that I really enjoyed and, and the tribe, you know, that there's others like me out there. Um, because most of the time, writing is an individualized, introverted, lonesome job. And when you finally get with others, and that's kind of funny in and of itself, because we're mostly introverts. And when introverts get together, it's a noisy quiet. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like a really good experience. I went to a couple of nationals. I saw the big, big, big picture. So I began to learn the process and the business side of it. It's not just the the romantic idea of writing a book it's it's i learned as i've said before the business side of it the craft is important and everybody got to do that you know and it's and it's sometimes not fun to realize you don't know your craft as well as you think you do and then have to learn the business side of it so yeah it was good now i'm not going to lie to you i'm no longer a member because it just doesn't feed my need any longer but I have a tribe I have a very active tribe of fellow writers so I don't feel alone in the process um so anyway I don't know if that answered the question but <laughs> and no totally and if it didn't it's fine it was still educational information so <laughs> mm -hmm. and I don't think you have to be a part of an association I also okay. don't think you have to be part of a critique group I like to use the word tribe I think you do have to have a tribe yeah, I think you do have to know at least some other authors mm -hmm. that have the same mutual reality you do on what mm -hmm. you're doing there, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. unless you're, you're an author, you a lot, most people don't get it. They don't get what you're going through. They don't, you know, whatever mm -hmm. your process is and you're sitting there talking about whatever they don't, they're not, they don't understand what you're saying mm -hmm. when you're say it's foreign, but that's mm -hmm. true. I think with anything, you know, I have friends in all kinds of different professions or I'll have all kinds of different hobbies. I'll use disc golf and of course, hopefully no hate mail, but I don't get it. I really just don't get the appeal, <laughs> the allure. I have zero interest, but man, if you get them talking about this topic and the different kinds of, they're not frisbees, you're not supposed to say that. I forget what discs, I guess, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, and, look and, and hate mail starts to ensue, right? Right, here we go. But, um, I just find that that unless you're in that, you don't have that shared reality of what that's like, you know, Correct. to do that. Correct. So talk to us a little bit about your process. When when you write, are you do you like it quiet? Do you like ambient noise? Do you listen to music? Do you play movies in the background? What do you do to get in the zen of your writing? Honestly, I like it quiet. Uh, most of my friends have the headphones on and they've got Spotify going or they got this going or they got that going. I'm distracted by that. Um, and I won't focus the way I'm supposed to. Um, that's just the way I'm wired. If I have too many stimuli going on, that's it, I'm gone. You know, and, and I, I just, I won't focus on, on the moment. And my moment has to be on the page when I'm actually creating. Now the editing process and the, and the, the, that process, sometimes when I get towards the end, I'll turn on music. I have friends who um, will create their Spotify to help them guide them through the process. You know, certain music is that 
character's music. So that helps them develop the character. I just can't do that. Um, I think more than anything, it's another um, shiny object. You know, I'll go out there and play on Spotify or this or that or the other. Whoops, forgot to write. You know what I mean? So I, I have to focus because that for me is a hard process is just to get into the groove. Once I'm there, good luck with that. Don't knock on the door. Don't talk to me. Um, husband sometimes texts me from the other room. Are we having dinner tonight or not? You know, that kind of thing. Um, because I will go there in that zone and not come out. <laughs> well, that's probably good when you get in that zone. How fast of a writer are you now? Well, much better than I was, but I am not like, I have a couple, oh my God, I have one friend and I, I won't out her because that would be not fair, but she can write a dozen books a year. I'm serious. And she, we were in a Zoom class last night and she said she, she's on a roll. She can write a book in a month and it can be 50,000 words. And I'm like, oh my God, it takes me a week to write a grocery list. How can you do that? You know, but that's the way she is. She's written a lot of books. So she's got kind of a flow going and it's kind of a series for her. So she'll take a character out and keep going with them. Um, I'm getting better at that, but I'm not great at that. Um, and, and one thing that I do that I shouldn't do, I could probably binge write a lot faster if I didn't edit all the time, edit, go back and edit. You know, tomorrow morning comes around, what I will do is I will listen to the story. I will put the headphones on and let it read the story to me. And I'm like, oh, oh, I forgot to put that in. So I'll go back and put that in and put that in. And sometimes I'll stay a little too long in that section. Whereas if you just go through it, um, I'm better at that. Let's just say I'm better at that. Yeah, I do. A lot of authors, that's what they say. And that's what a lot of the the writing manuals say, do not go and edit, put all no. the words on the paper and then go back and yeah. edit. If you go in edit mode, that's where you'll stay. One of the part piece of the process that I do do is the ending first. I, I have a beginning and I have an ending and I figure, okay, we're gonna figure out how we're gonna get there. But if I don't have an end game, I, I, don't, I don't like to keep it out there unknowing. And I'm sure you're gonna say, oh, you're a pantser or a plotter or uh, what are you? <laughs> I'm sort of in between. I write um, a summary. I create a summary of the high points and then go to that. Um, not necessarily the beats, not necessarily, um, you know, a, a pure scripted outline, but I've got some high points. I know what's gonna happen. I know this is gonna happen. I know this is gonna happen. Now we have to get there. Um, I'm big on character development. I, I have to know my characters before I write the story. I may not know everything about them, but I have to know what their qualities are, especially when they're magical. You've got to have that magical quality. And what's his quality, magical or not? And then you start creating the conflict because, you know, that's the four-letter word in, in romance. You've got to have conflict. Um, and in the beginning, I never had enough conflict. Well, now I figured out how to make conflict. You just make diverse characters coming from different angles that are absolutely improbable. And then you give them a story and, and turn them loose. So that's yeah, that's my cool. process. Do you do a lot of research? Yes, depending on the on the story. Yes, I do. Um, the last Cat's Paw Cove that I did for Christmas last year was set 
in Catspaw Cove, but it was going to be kind of a World War II kind of a thing threaded into it, a ghost story about World War II. And it was about um, a real thing that happened back in the day um, here in Florida, where I live on both coasts, I found out that the German U-boats came right up close to the, to the shore. And a lot of people just don't know that, that the Germans almost invaded us. In fact, a couple of times they did come on, on land up around St. Augustine, but they caught them really fast and probably the Germans wanted to surrender. But anyway, I needed to do some research about the German U-boat. I had to do some research about the kinds of aircraft that the United States would have had in the day. I had to do quite a bit of research about that whole World War II kind of flavor, which is a hot topic right now anyway. But yeah, so I'll do that. Um, so sometimes I'll do a lot of research. It just depends. And, and when there's some authentic landmarks or something that's real in the story that's why it's fun to write about made up towns because you don't have to worry about it you know but if i was writing a story about orlando florida i better have my details right and so i've got to do some research to make sure i've got the street names right and the you know the hotel right or whatever so yeah yeah no um sometimes i will decide that well like in this particular story that I'm writing now from my new indie book is it's a particular form of magic that's old Celtic. And so I had to look up that, you know, I, you know, that's a whole different ball game altogether than I'm used to. So I, yeah, I did some research on that. So, yeah. <laughs> I would say so. Do you end up going down that rabbit hole too far? I know a oh, lot yeah. of researchers who can't stop themselves after a certain point. Oh yeah. You, you always find out more than you'll ever use. You know what I mean? I mean, you'll find out this and you'll go there and you'll find out this and you'll go there. Um, you know, Diana Gabaldon is probably the queen of the research. That woman has her historical time travel novels down to a T where every little piece of her story is researched and is perfectly accurate. I'm not there. You know what I mean? You know, the, they. I might gloss over a few things here and there that might not interest the reader and it sure didn't interest me so you know well, a little and bit I, I think it's it depends on what it is um you know historical fiction you get into having to know this stuff i think this is the fine line for writers on whether that detail is actually essential to the story yes to put enough emphasis on it because like you discussed the street names in orlando that's important if you're describing getting somewhere specifically for instance right mm -hmm. or the location of a particular historic building mm -hmm. but you can just say you know bob street and blah street nobody gives a crap whether it's that's bob right. and blah street <laughs> but i think some authors get trapped up in going yeah they do no i have to know nobody like yeah. how many stories are written about Manhattan, for instance, we have joked with writers on the show, nobody writes about the Bronx, but about Manhattan <laughs> and they, they, um, they, it's true, do, do a number of search on this, but that they don't end <laughs> up, um, uh, who cares? Like it talks yeah. about, you know, certain things, brick buildings, like not every building in Manhattan is a brick building. Let's just right. clarify that. But right. it doesn't matter because almost every story you're in a brownstone or blah, blah, yeah. blah. And is it important? It's important if you're describing that you're going to a specific location that people from New York would know what that's right. 
location is the serendipity cafe for instance that isn't a specific thing if you go oh it's all the way over here in greenwich village it's it's not in greenwich village and yeah you'll piss off new yorkers but i guess i'll piss off somebody in california who's never been to greenwich village or knows where the hell the serendipity cafe is that's right well and there's some things you got to be real careful that you don't get caught on in my story that's going to come out next year the little boy in the story watches a dolphin be born well guess what i didn't know they come out tail first thank god i looked that up because if i'd have said oh here comes its little head you know somebody out there is going to go hey stupid you know dolphins babies are born breach all the time those things happen I could have said that in a review. If they'd have caught me, I would have said, "Hey, you know." And that's another thing: never go at people at the review. Back to the review oh. part we were talking about. Oh, Don't never engage. go at people on social media. I, I, no, never. You're fighting with not a person. You're fighting with a, a in, you know, a weird entity. Yes. You know, people yes. Will say things that they will never say in person on the internet. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. But, Look, you know, let's talk about fans. Have you been to in-person events where you've gotten to meet fans? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, quite a few lately in the last couple of years. Now, you know, I will back up and say it's budget dependent. You can't go to everything that's out there. There's lots and lots of reader conventions and conferences that you can go to. Florida has lots of them. Um, and they're, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of work to set up your booth and all of that kind of thing or, or signings and all, but it's really, really fun. And um, so heartwarming when somebody will walk up to you and go, oh my gosh, I read your book. I can't believe it. Or they pre-order a bunch of them and they, they're all excited when they show up at your table to, to buy them or you get to sign them. Woo, that's exciting is when you're signing a book. But yeah, engaging with, well, it, and it's healthy too. I, I, I can see that person now when I'm writing a story. You know, it's not just a um, manufactured avatar. It's a real life human being. Oh, so this is who's reading my book. So yeah, meeting people in libraries, on conferences, um, just all kinds of fun stuff. Um, how was it? Have you ever had a fan? Um, I've had this experience. Had a fan come up to you and talk to you about some part of the book that they absolutely love and you have no idea what they're talking about? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That's when you put on your game face and you go, yeah, wow, really? Well, tell me more about that. You know, give them the open-ended question and let them keep talking. And you have no earthly clue exactly what they mean <laughs> or they want to give you an idea for another story you know and you know this one lady did she gave me a really great idea that someday i'm going to put in a book but um you know yeah they, they might come up with to with some really interesting comments i you know i found that to be the case and i think it's funny because you never quite know what detail of a story that you write is hitting home to mm-hmm. a reader Mm-hmm. what part impacted them what part made a difference for them or did yes. they love or some character i often joke on the show about the barista that you put in there to just like trans you know how yeah. that one scene because this action had to occur so ergo yeah. run into each other in a coffee shop the barista's name is luke and he's behind the counter and has a mohawk and everybody's like tell me more about luke yeah and when's I'm like, luke gonna get a story going with yeah. is luke gonna like, have a story yeah <laughs> who, 
who's Luke? I know. <laughs> What's his and name? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm working on that. Uh, yeah. That's when you go, why don't you give me your opinion? Give me, give me what you got out of that. So then you can try to remember what the hell they're talking yes. about. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that is awesome. I think fans are so much fun. And I think it's always interesting to watch when fans are a little standoffish coming because they think like we used to think before we met more authors that it's like, oh my God, it's an author. Yes. A celebrity. And I think authors forget that you're a celebrity. The moment you put that book out, you're a celebrity. I'm not yeah. saying what level of celebrity, but you're a celebrity yes. and you're a celebrity yes. to your readers. Yes. You know, who are yes. like, oh my goodness, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was really weird on this podcast. I've been doing this podcast. I did this for my own gratification because I enjoy talking to amazing authors, right? But I had somebody at one of the last conventions I was at come up and go, oh my God, you're the drinking with authors girl. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. I listen to your podcast all the time, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, very cool. That's it. And they were super <laughs> excited. And then it got really awkward because you know, they were just kind of standing there and I was like, well, what's your favorite episode? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. and what was funny is they didn't know the author's name, but they were like, you know, the one with the thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have no idea yeah. what you're talking about. I love that part. thing. It's that terrible. thing was my favorite part too. Yeah. yeah. Best episode ever. Don't know. <laughs> no idea. Like, yeah, that's like what I used to work in a library and that's like a, a college library. And that's when the student comes in and says, my teacher says, I have to read a book. Well, what's the name of the book? I don't remember, but it has a blue cover. Okay, then we're going to go through the catalog and see all the books that have blue covers and see if we can find that book for you. But yeah, when the, when the authors or the writers come in and they, 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 they attach to something that you thought was kind of a minor piece. And it's kind of cool because it, it teaches you a lesson too. Don't discount anything that you write because it something's going to connect. It's going to hook like Velcro on somebody, and you never know. What is what is your um, favorite compliment you've gotten about your work? I have someone who just recently said, and I thought this was cool because she knows me, and, and it, so she kind of has a little bit different spin on it, but she says, when I read your stuff, it's like I'm talking to you. It's your voice. It's amazing. And I'm like, wow, thank you. You know, and and because I do have I kind of- know a, where you live, right? No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I, I try to cultivate kind of a snarky sassy little voice in the stories and I guess it came through that it sounds just like me now not all my readers know me so they don't know that the real person I always have somebody in every book that's basically me in there you know is like the the Greek plays was it the Greek plays that had the narrator on the side all the time that I will in incorporate myself in somebody somebody that I can let loose with. And, and so I'm in every story in some way or another. But um, yeah, that was a really cool compliment. I've had people say, oh, I really love your stuff. You write really well. And those are great and I love it. But that really was special when she said, oh, it's like talking to you. And I'm like, ooh, yes. <laughs> That's very, very cool. Since you do write um, uh, romance books, how did you find 
writing the male characters into the romance books did you ever feel you had any difficulty with the male characters or do you usually yes. go how would you react in this situation i do ask them once in a while but the thing you have to remember is that you have to keep the dialogue different you know women blah 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 and men don't they chop they one or two sentences they're I can't get in their head so I don't know what they're thinking and maybe we don't want to go there but if you have an internal time with a male character you can't go on and on and on like you know we do in our heads right oh I'm so sure guys do the exact same thing they're probably sitting there planning it out like I should just ask her what the hell is wrong no no I shouldn't because if I do that I'm going to get in trouble for not knowing what's wrong and then they go down their own they probably go down some path you know I'm sure there's a path <laughs> But yeah, there there is a challenge to making it sound authentically like it's well. Anytime you have two characters on the page, you you it's hard to make sure that they're different. You know that you don't just hear the same blah 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 blah. He said blah 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 blah. She said. You know, you got to try to put that personality and put that gender in there so that it doesn't sound like one voice all the way through. That's oh, part of the craft. Yeah. No, that is absolutely part of the craft and. Oh my God, I had a question there and I just lost it for a second there. Is there, oh, I found it again. It's okay. It's, I have a drunken <laughs> gnome. I found it, it's on a post-it. Um, do you have any characters that you find absolutely difficult to write? Yeah, um, there was a character, not all the time. Um, there's, there's a character right now, I'll try to hold that thought in this hand. There was a character that I wrote in one of my stories that was, um, I didn't know what to do with him. You know, he ended up getting his own story and it ended up, you know, great. But I didn't know what to make of this guy, you know. And in fact, one of the reviews said that in the beginning, they didn't like that character because he wasn't likable. <laughs> I didn't like him, so I made him unlikable. He had to change because that's part of the process, right? But um, I didn't, I had a hard time making him likable. And, and that was a challenge. In the book that I'm writing now, I have a seven-year-old child who is mute. He cannot speak. So he, he communicates through drawing and he's a very talented drawer. He's also magical. He's got a magical gift where um, he, it's his, he's in baby form with it, but he can do some things with that magic that drives his mother nuts. And he's challenging because I'm not a seven-year-old kid. So I've asked a lot of my moms that have seven-year-olds or had seven-year-olds, what would they do? You know, what kind of stuff? Well, of course, you know, they'll tell me everything like, you know, arm farts and everything else. So, you know, I'm not sure that's going to work <laughs> into the story, but just trying to understand what a little kid's head's thinking, you know, um, and a kid who can't speak and a kid who communicates through his art. And so that's been kind of a challenge, but kind of a fun challenge. Um, I have to catch myself every once in a while because I want him to say something and he can't, you know, and so there's that barrier for me and it's the barrier for the mother because she can't understand sometimes what he's thinking. So from a psychological standpoint, that's, that's a challenge. But yeah, that one character, I didn't like this guy and I had to, I had to make myself like him. And when he got his happy ever after, everybody liked him, so. I actually enjoy writing characters that I don't like and don't end up that way because I think sometimes, not for sweet romance, don't get me wrong, these are not sweet romance books, right. um, but I've had a lot of fun and I found that the more difficult thing to do is to not write a character that has a lot of redeeming qualities. Yes. A lot of people even write villains 
with redeeming qualities. And I always think it's interesting when you can take a character and for a very specific reason, not have them grow. Some people don't grow and have a, like, you know, they get, you get to the end and they're the same way they were in the beginning. And I always think that's, I found that to be one of the difficult things to write Mm -hmm. is to not go, oh, I want to give this person this thing. Well, no, they don't get that thing. They don't don't get better. You don't, you know, at the end. But I found that frustrates people too, because everybody's stuck on that whole, everybody has redeeming qualities because, you know, the whole Marvel universe, like all of the villains have redeeming qualities. And I know one of the issues I've had is everybody's mad. One of my characters is just a crappy person. Like, there's no reason. It's just, he's a crappy person. Yeah. And, like, it bothers people because he's not getting nicer. And it's like, he's a terrible person. He's not supposed mm-hmm. to get better. So I think it's like a double-edged sword. I think it definitely goes based off of what audience you're going to hit, I guess. Yeah. 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 And not everybody's going to like every single book. No. But guess what? We're getting near the end of the podcast. Oh, no. I know. I know. I could get with you for hours. This went so fast. Well, the best ones. Wait, no, that's a different book, too. But no, I'm not. (laughs) I even set myself up for that. High five, Erica. You are on a roll tonight. I swear. Oh, that's cider, girl. Oh, my God. (laughs) Black rock cider. That's all I'm going to say. Black rock cider. Um, it has a little star on it near where I live, actually. Um, yeah. But let's um, go for some advice. I love I love it when guests give advice. So, what advice would you give authors out there? Persist. Keep doing it. Um, take a break when you need to. You know, if it gets too intense and you're getting too frustrated with the work, or you're too frustrated with the process, or there's always going to be somebody that's going to love your story. And so keep that in mind when you're writing. You may be at your worst moment in the process, but that story is for somebody. It's going to help somebody in some way. And I don't care what kind of story it is. You know, blood and guts, horror, war movies, stories, whatever, whatever. It's going to touch somebody. A memoir, it's going to touch somebody. So you've got to write it. It's important that you write it. Um, it may not be read by the masses, but it's going to be read by somebody that they feel really connected to. And they may never, you may never meet them. They may never write that review, but it touched somebody. And so I think that's the advice um, that I would give people is don't give up. Don't, don't stay in the hidey hole and think nobody's going to read your work. They will read it. They just may not 40,000 of them on Amazon review, but some read that book and really like it (laughs) and we're not in it for the money so yeah (laughs) oh yeah don't go for the gold don't go for the gold gold. um how do people find you how do people find your work well everything's on amazon so you can find candace colt on amazon some of my books are wide they're they're out there and in in all the other platforms um my Cat's Paw Cove books are free on Kindle Unlimited. Um, and you can always go to my web- website, CandiceColt.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter, read my blogs, just find out about me, and just generally immerse yourself in the experience of me. 
Oh my God, I love that. I love, I love that. That, that was said. absolutely amazing. I, immerse yourself. I'm going to steal that. I, I want you guys to immerse yourself in the experience. You got to do the hands too, though. <laughs> but it's copyrighted. I just copyrighted. No, okay, no, fine. Okay. Fine. I won't use that. <laughs> you I'm can back, use it. <laughs> I'm going back to the back door thing. That's where I'm going. That's where we started. Candace, <laughs> you've been amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Oh, ladies, I've enjoyed it. You guys made it really easy. Okay, guys, well, you've been listening to Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance, and my co-host has been Mason C.R. Rice. And our guest has been the absolutely awesome Candace Cole. So thank you so much again for being here. Thank you. Bye. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.